0: This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. When the local mosque is burned to the ground in an apparent hate crime, the town of Victoria, Texas must overcome its age-old political, racial, and economic divides to find a collective way forward. Join us as we talk with the award-winning director, Lee Lu, who captures this bittersweet story about a South Texas town that is called on to rally around its neighbors at a time of extreme polarization in American society. Stay tuned. Lee Lu, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you?
1: Doing pretty good. It's a nice, great day here in Los Angeles, so I'm enjoying the the cool weather.
0: Well, sound, sounds great. We're here in rainy, cold England, which shouldn't surprise anyone that it's rainy and cold. Um, and we're talking about the film A Town Called Victoria, released on PBS this week. Uh, for those of you listening, who knows when, uh, that's mid-November 2023. And, um, You don't have to be in the US to see it, it's, uh, you can, various uh, different streamers have it, it's available there, you can go to the PBS apps. We in the UK actually on Freeview get PBS America, so it might be showing up there. Uh, So um, yes, welcome and congratulations for getting this film made and and released. Thank you so much. So. As mentioned, it's a a three-part doc, A Town Called Victoria, and we usually start off asking our guests, what is is the film about? So, maybe you can tell us, Lee, what is A Town Called Victoria all about? Give us a a synopsis.
1: Sure. So, A Town Called Victoria is a three-part docuseries that's about the arson of the Islamic center in Victoria. On the night that the travel ban was enacted in 2017. So yeah. when this had happened, it kind of captured international news and went viral because of the timing of the travel ban and all the news around that at the time. Um, what the world didn't expect though is that the next day hundreds of people showed up at the site of the still smoldering mosque mm-hmm. to hold a peace rally, a prayer rally, to say that we put our arms around you in this moment of trauma, and right. we love our Muslim neighbors, and that story became even bigger than the fire itself, that there could be this kindness, this sense of neighborly connectivity and solidarity from this South Texas town. Um, for me, though, I really started to ask some questions, even though I was so heart-warmed by sort of what had happened with the rally and the reaction a part of me asked the question how long will this last because i grew up in the region in a town about an hour and a half away mm. and i too share a great love of being texan but mm. with the stark reality of the history and the social dynamics of the place so that okay. this the series really talks about the aftermath follows the trial of the arsonist and also includes the very arduous road that ultimately did happen to rebuild the mosque
0: okay And for transparency's sake, I too have South Texas roots. I was born and raised in San Antonio, and I've been to Victoria many, many years ago, probably about the time some of your guests, your subjects actually were moving there. So, uh, but um, maybe you could tell us a little bit more, tell people, you know, most people won't know anything about Victoria, Texas. What is is it a tip? Is it your tip? You know, don't let me your your view. And you've been there more recently, obviously. Is it your typical American small town? What what? How would you describe it to to our listeners?
1: I think what's so interesting about the show is that people see that Victoria is basically a microcosm for every community in the country, big and small, in a way. Yeah. But what makes it unique is that Victoria is truly South Texas. You know, you get so much of the feeling of the history of Texas, right. the history of Mexico, the history of all of those things throughout the the timeline that are still very present there today. Well, and you can see that the, dem- the demographics, it's actually a majority Latinx community. Mm-hmm. Um, but the halls of power, the people in power that have been there for generations all come from a lot of the prominent settlers, especially after the Texas Revolution, um, Mm -hmm. who had a lot of land and industry. So you get that sense, or almost like a sink, it's all like a fog around the town, almost this like Mm -hmm. sense of history, the sense of place, the sense of, you know, the rules and norms of the city. Um, But it is kind of like a big, small town. I wouldn't describe it as rural, even though people try to, there's rural parts to it. But the city center is quite populous. I think the population now is around 70 or 80,000 for the entire county, but it feels still much like the mm. smaller town because of that sense of culture in place.
0: And, and as you say, in many ways, not much has changed. But then while other, th- other things certainly have, I mean, you certainly didn't have any uh, Muslim families there 40 years ago or more, did you? And so you've, you've also had this community move, move in that was not there within most people's uh, living memory.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been different waves of mig- you know migration from the Middle Eastern countries or even the South Asian countries. Like right. in, I believe you know the late the early 1900s, there was a huge wave of Syrian uh, immigrants that settled there, mm-hmm. and you can still see the remnants of town, some last names and whatnot. But in terms of the people at the mosque currently, you know Dr. Hashmi, who's the founder, really of the mosque and the community there, he moved there in the early 80s you know, after, especially, you know, the important immigration act that opened up the doors to Asian American immigrants, mostly at the time. So he came to Victoria in the early eighties and the community has just grown since then. And they've been brought to Victoria, quite frankly, because of their industries, whether it be the medical field, education. So many people at this Moscow, teachers and professors at the local colleges there, and also the oil and gas and, you know, the energy industries. Okay.
0: And then, as your as your series, because I've I have watched all three episodes, and I know the congratulations again. I know they've all now dropped on uh, on PBS. Um, the arson, well, shows what some people would call good small town values and families rallying to these to their neighbors, but it also reveals deep divisions um, as well. And I think you've already been kind of mentioned this, but it's. Uh, there's a, there's a lot going on there, and it's political, racial, and economic divides, that's, all, that's always been there in, in America, but uh, it's something kind of new that really, from about the middle of the last decade on, well, to be honest with you, I, I was highlighting polarization longer than that, but there's certainly, a, a, it seems to have gotten on steroids, this polarization of, of contemporary America, and, and your film captures that very well.
1: It does. And I think what we also try to talk about very delicately, but in a strong way as well is the concept of white supremacy. You know, it being revealed that the perpetrator was a person of color himself, I think opened up for me, a whole conversation about what power looks like in this town, what it had looked like in this town, and what are the actions and what are the behaviors of someone in power and how this young man seemed to want to replicate those things. So, if we're getting into this interesting time where I think it's not just about what group you belong to or binaries of a, of a conversation. It's truly about something much more deeper and much more personal and individual and what attracts people to do things like this for the gains of power and for some way of feeling superior to others.
0: And so, were you already filming before the... Uh... I'm just curious when when the uh, when they, the perpetrator and then you know he's been convicted uh, and it turns out he's Latino. Were you were you was that a, was that a surprise that happened while you were filming or did the, was that you were already aware of that before you, you started on the project?
1: I think we had started to film a little bit and then that news came out in real time, you yeah. know, and especially the news also that it was arson and not an right. accident, all of that. So it, yeah, it was all kind of blow by blow in a way. Right. And at this point, the story got bigger and deeper and touched on more vital things, which is also why I'm so grateful that this is a series because making an independent series is also quite difficult for mm. making a one-off feature, you know, in a way. Right. But we needed as much canvas size as possible to tell all the facets of the story, because there were just too many things that were important to it.
0: Okay. Um, I'm actually, as I've, I think I warned you earlier, we're going to give our listeners an early, quick early break. So, we'll be right back with award-winning filmmaker Lu writer and director of A Town Called Victoria. It's just released on PBS this week, but you can also find it on PBS apps, other streamers, and here in the UK, you might see it on PBS America. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram or X to keep up to date with new releases for upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with award-winning filmmaker Lee Lu, writer and director of A Town Called Victoria. It's just released on PBS this week. We were talking about uh, this, this film of yours and that it's uh, uh, great that you had, you know, three episodes at least to work with to, to capture everything. It's uh, for something that seems so, pardon the phrasing, but Black and white in terms of an arson and a hate crime, there is all these, all these subtleties and nuances as well that you are capturing with with your film and 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 the different communities and how they all react and there's elements of even, you know, how we even deal with potentially mental illness and and things like that. There's there's so much. It's a, quite a Quite a quite a uh, canvas that you've uh, you've painted and, and woven in in your in your series.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think it became very apparent. Like, how can you talk about this without talking about masculinity, and then patriotism, and then yeah. mental health, and all those things wrapped into one? And I think that's what I'm most proud of is that we show a complex network of themes and issues but they're not complicated. You know, it's very clear to see the ingredients. It just takes the time for us to really sit with those and carefully dissect them. And that's the conversation that me even as an audience member in this Mm -hmm. world, or just a citizen. I want to have more nuanced conversations and more nuanced stories that do take a deeper look because I know the world I live in is not binary or simple. So, I think it was a challenge for us to provide that for folks in this time.
0: And when and how did you become involved with this story?
1: Well, I you know, I grew up in a town nearby,
0: yeah. about
1: an hour and a half nearby. And so when the fire happened, it was just an incredible slew of friends texting me, social media posts, and people that had deep connections to the community in Victoria that were friends of mine from growing up. So immediately I was just heartbroken and shocked that this was happening in our in our collective backyard. <laughs> in a way. And so, it was really for me um, something quite personal. And also Mm. as a Texan myself, like, you know, I have very complex feelings about, you know, my own identity in a way. Mm. I love that I am from that region, I adore the sense of neighborly spirit that comes from being a Southerner and a Texan. But there's also, as I said, you know, edges and realities that being a person of color and a woman of color, you know, includes when trying to survive in those spaces.
0: And you, I mean, you, I gather, doing some research, you have, well, you've already said, but you certainly have your own immigrant Texas story to, to tap into. I mean, how did that inform your approach? And then maybe even what is it like growing up an immigrant in the US, but more importantly, my book, Texas?
1: Well, I mean, so much of my upbringing was parallel to the families in Victoria. and That made us very close as just, you know, human beings and eventually friends. Mm. So, many of the reasons why my family chose Texas as well as a place to settle had to do with the offer of what Texas has. It has the land, it has the resources, it has the opportunity for you to have the dream of, you know, having a house with a backyard and to grow your family even, Mm. you know. My brother was born in Texas, you know, and 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 so, so much of that became the connective tissue between my experiences, coupled with theirs, and you know what was it like growing up? I mean, it was hard, you know yeah. it was beautiful and wonderful because it was at a time where there was so much diversity in mm. my hometown, and the region now is mostly not mostly non white mm. in a way, but we all we all knew our place, you know, in a way. then episode right. one' it's great great quote is a is a man who used to be a Baptist preacher. And he said, you know, this, this sort of neo-Confederate way people think about place in societies like in Texas or in the South. Mm. And we all knew that we were, quote unquote, welcome guests in a way right. as immigrants. And what's interesting, what's happening now is that those people realize we're not going anywhere. We're no longer guests. We are having right. work. You know our families grow. We're we're voting and we're making our voices heard, and that has everything to do with what all the news reports and the things coming out of Texas in the region have come to in recent days.
0: And so you've you've spent a lot of time in Victoria and with the uh, the, the the community there at the mosque. Um, but do you you've do I understand correctly? You're more from a scripted narrative background, aren't you?
1: I am. Yeah, this is my first long form doc project, I'd done some shorts and, you know, some, you know, reporting before, but my background mostly is a narrative filmmaking. I had made a feature in 2015 and mm-hmm. I, had, I do television as well. Um, a couple of shows for Fox, Disney and Netflix. So, right. so, yeah, this, this, but surprisingly or not surprisingly, this documentary employed every single bit of my narrative filmmaking, yeah. you know, skills, especially with story structure. And also how to how to present character in a way that felt real and felt personable, yeah. as but,
0: well. But how did you balance that with this? Because you're still, I mean, you're still putting things out. You're still working uh, while this is all going on. Because this is a quite a, started in 2017, and I don't know you were filming all the way through. I don't know how long the shoot was, but uh, how did you balance that? Because you you obviously did spend a lot of you you were on site. You're on you know there shooting quite a bit.
1: If you ask any independent filmmaker, I think they'll tell you the same thing. We don't get a lot of sleep, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I balanced everything as well as I could. TV is incredibly intense. The shoot schedules are quite brutal and long-lasting. And, you know, I'm so glad that, you know, we're getting a bit of parity in terms of the labor that goes into what we do. Um, but, you know, filming this along the way was sort of as it happened. So there are many things that I certainly, you know, I couldn't sort of expect. I had to sort of, at the drop of a mm-hmm. pen, be in Victoria the next day for some things. I had to wait for, including the trial, which got pushed many, many times, as you would imagine. Um, but when it came around to 2021, I really—that's when our public media funders stepped in to basically fund the the post process and put us on to mm-hmm. on to air. So that from then on out, I was full time on this project. So I. Didn't okay. do any of my other work where uh, you know, in my narrative sense, I fully committed to being with the editors and the team every single day. I mean, this was three years of five days a week, ten hours a day type of work for us and our staff. So it was a lot of a lot of hard work.
0: Wow. Well, that well it obviously comes out and because and also with everything that you were able to to capture. Um, I mean, ultimately, well, I say ultimately, this is a very bittersweet story, isn't it? I mean, it's a rallying together there's uh, I mean uh, people should watch it we don't try to go into details about what happens in these in the films uh, but uh, you know the, they are able to build a new mosque um, but as you say it's very nuanced a lot of things going on. I mean even within the Muslim community as you as we should expect we're all humans so there's various what was interesting is seeing the various different reactions within that community as well um, and you know one of the main characters even moves away. Uh, And is dealing with his own mental, uh, it's obvious he's dealing with his own mental anguish. I mean, it's, uh, does that the, do you think that's the end of the story or where does this all really end?
1: I mean, we, I'm glad you picked up on the bittersweetness of it all because it's true, you know, even though there's a big, beautiful mosque and it was rebuilt, there's just some things that you don't heal from. And I can tell you right now, like for that community, there's just something that will never be gained again, something very precious was lost regarding their sense of safety, their sense of place, you know, in the country, not just the community. And what you mentioned went for one of the characters, you know, it was a very sobering moment for him to realize, to take stock of all that had happened and realize that he had to sort of take care of himself first and ultimately that meant moving away. Um, You know, and and unfortunately, as we see, there's so many stories of discrimination, hate crime, especially right now with what's going on, you know, to houses of worship. And they almost fly by our daily, you know, news feed. Mm. But I hope what the series shows you is that there are real people out there who are hurting and will hurt for quite some time. And it does, if anyone can just take one moment of their day to reach out to someone to say, I see you and I care about you. That is, that can mean the world to, to someone like that right now, especially. So, I think there's a sweetness to how people can contribute towards mm. their community, be a good neighbor, and gratitude for the for all those actions. But the bitter to all of that is the internal struggle and turmoil that does come and stays with you forever after something like this mm. happens.
0: I think those are some good, good words of advice. I would only add is maybe we just turn the TV off now and put the devices down every now and then and stop watching the, <laughs> the news and just listen to our neighbors and, and court, you know, I, I think it was probably, as someone of my age, maybe it's probably an idealistic. I don't think it ever was quite like this way. But there was a time when people could be of different political views and things like that, and still break bread together and get along together just fine. And I think that's something that we've certainly have lost... Uh, quite a bit and is apparent to me on my visits back home um, when I visit uh, visit Texas. Um,
1: I think that's a good quality to, to, to think about. But I also think right now, too, people are speaking up that have not spoken up before, you well, know, that's and a that's good also point. causing a lot of, you know, yeah. difference I, because yeah. people are, a lot of what the story is, too, is that, you know, this was a moment that a spotlight was thrust upon this community, and then the community really had to evolve to use that spotlight to speak up in their own voice in mm. a way, and the evolution of how they do that, whether it be through social or political means, you know, mm. is as much of the story as as, as it is um, the the arson and the trial and all of those yeah. things. Um, but I do I do think people should value each other and in face to face conversations not the sort of, you know, one directional conversations right. that we love to have on social media that aren't productive, I feel. Yeah. Uh, they're good to raise awareness, and we should be doing that. But in terms mm. of really reaching people, you know, be brave and and have a conversation that's hard with someone um, that could use the conversation to be had with.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, in terms of the, you know, as a way it's shot as well, it's very you know, some great imagery in, in this film, the docu-series and um, um, very, you know, very uh, sort of poetic in, in places, I would, I would say. Um, now, I, I did pick up that um, um, Helena Hutchins was DP on the first episode, is that right? The woman who tragically was killed on the set of Rust? Isn't that, what did, how did her camera work set the tone for the, for the series?
1: Yeah, Helena was my first creative collaborator on this project. You know, she and I had friends for many years before that was always searching for something to do together. And when this had happened, I called her immediately, um, knowing that she had worked in documentaries before in Europe. And we started to film this process together. And it's also a great joy that through this release we we're also celebrating her artistry and who she was and who, what she believed in because she was also so heartbroken about the injustice of what had happened to this community mm. and we talked about style I mean so much of what I think the landscapes of this part of the country sort of you know imbue is a sense of that southern gothicness in a way mm-hmm. through space and through atmosphere and through through different kinds of landscapes and through a lot of emptiness too, but emptiness that feels full, you know, in a way. So, we really wanted to lean in and give the Southern Gothic feeling of the town as much, you know, as much of the DNA as possible. Even in the pace sometimes of the edit, we really try to give you a sense of what it feels like to be in this town. Sometimes you can be in a wide open field and feel completely claustrophobic. You know, so, how do we give that feeling through through the cinema of the talent in the series?
0: Well, I think that's, uh, that's very well put. Uh, I don't think too many people would have realized you can be in an open field and feel claustrophobic, and I'd never thought of it that way, but that's indeed, I know what you're talking about. Um, um, I think we're coming, actually, kind of coming up to the end of our time together, uh, Lee, but... Um, I just wanted to ask you what's what's next for you. Um we discussed already you mostly you're almost completely from a narrative scripted background, but do you have another doc in you? What do you, what do you think?
1: <laughs> I don't know when the next doc will be. I joke to everyone, you know, my next project is probably a little sleep. Um <laughs> but you know, now that, that you know the actors and the writers are back to work right, and they gained right. so much with their you know, I'm really excited to jump back into the director's chair regarding narrative work. But all the work that I do, I think, has this underlying care for the world that mm-hmm. we live in, and for people, and for justice as well. So I look forward to to doing more things and more different kinds of genres and mediums after this.
0: Well, if you do ever do do another doc, we'd love to have you on again, and uh, do hope you do make another doc because I thought you did it. We we re- really enjoyed this this uh, the, you know the uh, this this docuseries. And I just want to remind our listeners and our viewers that we've been talking with award-winning filmmaker Lee Lu, writer and director of A Town Called Victoria. It's just released on PBS this week here in uh, mid-November 2023. So, do check it out. It's uh, well worth your time. So, thank you again, Lee. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks again for joining us on Factual America. A big shout-out to everyone at Intersound Audio in York, England, for their great studio and fine editing and production skills. A big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show and that everything otherwise runs smoothly. Finally, a big thanks to you, our listeners. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. And please also remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, which specializes in documentaries, television and shorts about the US for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals, showing our films and to connect with our team. Our homepage is FactualAmerica.com.